0: On the night of September 23, 2023, as a blizzard of dark curtains descended upon an already dark world, 101 people gathered at a secret location in the City of Angels to experience the first live, filthy Armenian adventure. They were promised mirth, magic, fire, and brimstone. The first thing they saw was dolmas. Viciously and without remorse the dolmas were attacked small cold tart and moist the rice and lemony grape leaf delicacy was prepared by uncle armenian in the family tradition not a single one survived the night not a single flaky cheese borek survived either nor a single chicken meatball, nor one drop of Papa Armenian's meatball sauce, last seen being drained to completion straight from its very container. Reinforcements were waiting in the form of Sujuk Armenian string cheese and cured fish, but they did not last long. Once they were gone, the best baklava in the Southland never stood a chance. After an hour of this massacre and mingling, the guests took their drinks from the bar and found their places in the filthy Angelino's spirit space, decorated with artifacts from Adventures Future and Adventures Past. Masks were forbidden, smoking was encouraged. Once everyone was seated, plump and sexy from the accessories of Armenian hospitality, the show began. enjoyed the uh, snacks by Papa Armenian and Uncle Armenian fakest of times, it was the gayest of times. It was so over, and something was so back. A night of dark intent was coming, and not just a night, an age. And not just an age, a golden age. Welcome to Filthy Armenian Adventures Presents Los Angeles, A Reverie Under the Stars. We definitely did not have a last-minute venue change due to drama with the last venue that I am not remotely gay enough to understand. The gay train has many stops. There's a stop where I get off. And then after that, there's a stop where you have a, a douche nozzle hooked up to your shower in a perfect synthesis of plumbing.
1: Then after that is the
0: stop where you can possibly comprehend the drama that went down with the last menu. And then after that, congratulations, you're running Marianne Williamson's campaign. Um, but thanks to, thanks to my trusty team, event producer-ario, Hadrian uh, beloved, Thanks to Maddie P and his ragtag band of angels, we figured out somewhere, maybe even better. New York. New York. There we go. I'm just sending, I'm just priming you guys because I, I don't think that's going to be the last time we hear that word tonight. I have called you here to Los Angeles, my humble hometown because we are living in a golden age of darkness. It is dark. It is dark time right now, though seriously. It is dark, and before we can reap the golden, we must recognize the darken. There is always darkness, but since about the time that I met some of you in here, and you first met me, the darkness has enjoyed total power. Since the lockdowns, to flatten the curves, since they forced us to blur our faces, since the snitching and the treachery and the social distancing was enshrined into law, since the people who canceled Roseanne found a way to cancel Christmas, and spring, and summer, and Thanksgiving, and all we got would return was a second Black History Month Since the Black Lodge took over the White House, and the masters of war got the green light, and the virus seeped into everything, and yes, the virus is real, and we all know what it is. Racism, obviously. (laughs) Since all that, we went from two movies on one screen, where at least one was kind of fun and hopeful, and orange, to one long fade to black. It is officially a dark age. And it's dark in some pretty innovative ways. This ain't your grandpappy's dark age. In your grandpappy's dark age, people at least had the consolation of biological sanity. In your Viking grandpappy's dark age, at least rape was real. (laughs) Now rape is jerking off on a phone call with a friend you maybe sort of helped in the business. Or having sex with a woman while saying something unwoke 17 years later. Rape used to have a winner. Sometimes two. Now it doesn't even happen in the present. No one ever just got raped yesterday anymore. Now it's like every rape has to go through escrow. Until we figure out whether or not the accused is going to become an enlightened centrist podcaster. We are not allowed to be who we are, and we're not even allowed to be what we are. Some blame men, some blame women. There's plenty of blame to go around. Personally, I blame everything on lesbians for no longer existing. I blame the vanishing lesbian for shifting the entire pussy paradigm where lesbians became trans, and then gay men became lesbians, and straight men became gay, and then women became LLCs. (laughs) Nothing against LLCs. I have several LLCs on the side. I just miss women. I miss women. I was raised by a pack of women. If I hadn't grown up believing all those women, I would never have become the misogynist I am today. Last week, there was a debate. Maybe some of you were there at the Ace Hotel. Free Speech Incorporated presents, Has the Sexual Revolution Failed? And here to discuss the matter, five women. Six, if you count Tim Dillon. And not once in the two hours, except for when Anna snuck it through the door in her final little segment before they yanked, you know, they got her with the Apollo hook. Except for Anna, of course, not once were men even mentioned, let alone taken seriously, let alone assumed to be even so much as a visitor passing through the equation of the entirety of human existence. It just, men just don't matter. Not once did the vanishing lesbian moderator, Barry Weiss, I did not know she was a lesbian until that show, by the way. That was a big, that was the highlight of the whole thing, honestly. One more lesbian. Woo! We've got five now. Not once did she even ask a single question related to the fate or the thoughts or the feelings of men. And nobody cared. Nobody even noticed, except for a filthy fucking Armenian, the title didn't even have to specify because it was just assumed that the only people who matter in a conversation about the success or failure of a sexual revolution are the 51% of the population who are LLCs. <laughs> and it was a, that was a great event, by the way. I'm not hating, I love that event. That was the good side. Those were the good guys. That was the Israel. <laughs> oh, you Maybe what we need is another sexual revolution, because we are truly living in a dark of age. A dark age, an age so dark that even the opponents of darkness are afraid to face the real darkness. Would rather concoct counterfeit darknesses, like groomers and drag queens and islands of Epstein's, porn abortion, the pill, seed oils, rape, vaccines, jerking off. What year is it? It's always 80s night at the Disco, the Discourse discotheque. I couldn't mess that one up. <laughs> talking heads, talking heads, wearing masks, just like we do on Halloween to make a farce of our fears. Problem is, masks don't work. Masks don't stop the spread. We're not getting out of it with masks, and we're not getting out of it with peace and love either. And I can talk because I've worn that mask. I've worn the mask of peace and love. Before the events of 2020, I had just figured out for the first time in my life how to be optimistic, how to be hopeful, how to see the best in people, how to manifest. I had witnessed miracles, historic miracles. I had mega miracles. I had seen mountains move. I had mustered the creativity to see humanity not as a battle of good versus evil, but as a battle of good versus good. I had an optimistic spirit. I'd been to the mountaintop, I had my white woman. Hold the woman. I have worn the mask of peace and love. Some of you have DMs from me uh, in that twilight period before the darkness truly took over everything, before you even knew me. And I was like, hey, keep up the good work. You're being sublime. Very encouraging. I mean, check your DMs if you're a big account from that year. And I mean, I wasn't just uh, dribbling the milk of human kindness. I was gushing loads. The mask of peace and love is a very pleasant, uplifting mask. But like all masks, it can prevent you from seeing what is right under your nose. Day to day, I was surrounded by nothing but absolute idiots, and yet I was hopeful because after years of thankless critical thinking, I had finally disciplined myself to see the best in people who, if they knew anything about the real me, would want me dead, or in jail, the way Americans are currently being jailed for memes, jailed for walking around DC. Now, if they were jailing people for working in DC, or pursuing careers in DC, or being from DC, I would understand. I'd be all in favor, lock them up. But for walking around in DC in protest of the most democratic election in human history, I think we can make an exception for that. Things are bad. Things are really bad. And we're not getting out of it through peace and love. And we're not getting out of it by thumping Bibles either. Thumping a Bible doesn't get you out of an apocalypse. And it doesn't prevent you from getting slaughtered by Muslim communist dogs or Judea christian drones. It's not enough. All that Bible stuff is what they add later. The scriptures, the testimonies, the proverbs, the marching psalms. That's what they add on way after the fact, like a sensitivity warning. Jesus did not have a substack. Judeo-Christian values are not gonna save you. Sun and Steel is not gonna save you. Quitting Taco Bell for Lent is not gonna save you. And don't think moving to Romania is gonna save you either. Only way I see out of this mess is to stay right here in LA. Finally take off all our masks and face the fucking Santa Ana winds. Anyway, I was having lunch recently when a uh, misty apparition appeared in my kitchen, holding a Coca-Cola and a hard-boiled egg. It It was like a form, a figure, so skinny that it could only be Joan Didion. So I had lunch with Joan Didion's ghost, and don't facts and logic it, Okay, ghosts are a staple of L.A. The, they, they form out of the smog between the mortal substance of a star and the light the public sees. I've talked about this. Hollywood ghosts are like the, uh, the corridor between reality and illusion. The, that's not the point. It doesn't matter how real or not the apparition was. The point is that, of course, she wasn't hungry. <laughs> Didion, Joan Didion's ghost was not hungry, but she showed up in my kitchen, and she said... I heard you talking shit about me on your podcast." And I was, I mean, it took me a minute to process what was actually going on. So I said, can I make you a sandwich? Because she was really skinny. I mean, if you think that Joan Dinian was skinny in life, you should see her now. You remember that, you remember the Netflix documentary where the entire third act is they're trying to get her to eat a sandwich. And then there's like the dark night of the soul, she won't eat the sandwich. And then there's the self-sacrifice and then the surprise twist. She's half of it. (laughs) I have been talking shit about Joan Didion on my podcast and on Jack's podcast. We have been talking a little shit. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged because, because I've been on account of Play It As It Lays, which along with Day of the Locust is the favorite L.A. novel of everyone who hates L.A., It's not a terrible novel, it's not a worthless vision. It tries to capture the mental spiritual architecture of this retarded city. The space, all the space a spaced out super Hollywood woman drowns in, the dizzy, disorienting, uprooted space that enchants you with promises of freedom, promises that disappear like a big matador's cape if you get too horny as you try that four lane crossover from the 101 to the 110 or to the 110 to the 101. Play it as it lays. Stylish, a stylish, depressing fetus of a novel with tiny chapters and wide margins. And it only tells one half of its own very Hollywood story. And ha ha ha, the movie's better. My problem, Miss Stidian Dunn, is that you canonized contempt as the literary compass for the city. I told her this. And she said, first of all, shut your mouth. The movie wasn't better. She gets really offended when you, when you think that the movie was any good at all. You should watch the movie. Second of all, I thought you liked my contempt. Madame, Madame, your contempt is most witty. You've deployed it with much delightful flair on the feminists, and the bureaucrats, and the Black Panthers, Huey, and the Newtons, and the bureaucrats, and the Mansons, and the Bayez, oui, wee oui, oui. It's fine to be a rich girl from Sacramento who establishes a literary corporation over LA to serve the prickly sophisticates in the East, but Madame, contempt should not be should not spread like a marine layer over an entire city, over everything. If you view L.A. as a hopeless idiot, you view the world as a hopeless idiot. And if you do that, you might become glued to a mask of mourning and spend your golden years as the grandmama of American letters, a black veil, and a gay-ass Netflix documentary descending over your entire legacy in lieu of getting a divorce. That may or may not be true, she said, or some of it may be true and some of it may not be true. You know how she talks. All the same, it was my contempt that tipped you off to the Santa Ana winds. And just think, if not for those winds, how homeless you would be. And she, she was right. She was right. The Santa Ana winds are everything to me. I love getting all emo about the Santa Ana winds. And she's the cosmic weather girl who put those haunted ass Halloween winds on my map. She mythologized those dusty, dirty, hot dragon winds that always made Halloween season so vivid when I was a kid, blowing in all that filth from the east, filling you up with toxins, contaminating you. The winds remind you where you came from and warn you ahead of time that something bad is about to happen. They are the winds of the past, the winds that turn you inside out. I never started paying attention to this endless, retarded chessboard of a city until I got wind of that wind. Never would have thought it possible that I, my entire childhood, split across both ends of Sunset Boulevard, unwalkable, neighbor blind, earthquake divided every which way by lawsuit and divorce, that I was shaped by a city where space was a cosmic provocation. And where all that divorce, 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 divorce is the cost you have to pay when you live in a city where America is always on trial. Joan Didion was right to chimp about the Santa Ana winds, is my point, and Ezra Klein was wrong to make fun of her for it. That dumb, skinny Democrat fuck. I'll never forget when that skinny, liptard piece of shit mused on his little blog in 2008. I grew up in Irvine, and I never thought about the Santa Ana winds was a big deal. Fuck you, Ezra Klein! <laughs> fuck you. I care, I care about those fucking metaphorical wins. You can fuck off, stick to your little career of making America a shithole, and leave my fucking wins alone. These are my wins. Didion was right to chimp, but as usual, there is more to the story than what she is willing to explore. Didion viewed the wins as a menace as a reminder of how close to the edge we all are, as a messenger of the deeply mechanistic view of human nature. But the winds of the past must end up somewhere. They must end up right at the edge of the Pacific and collide against the winds of the future, the ones that freaked out Robert Frost And it was once or twice, by the Pacific, where some wind, some winner of that scrimmage, blindsided a lost man like Bob Dylan, invaded his privacy, some wind polluting him with all those deviant particles and some wind converting all those toxic particles into agents of grace until he screamed hallelujah. Or as Eve Babbitts wrote, just think, if not for the Santa Ana winds, how straight we all would be. Starting in 2020, I decided to take my unfathomable homeland, seriously. I decided to investigate for real, to follow its filthy clues as a map to some way in or out of this apocalypse. I started looking for the truth of its illusions. I started suspecting the effectiveness of its many exported masks. I started testing, testing, testing the integrity of its empty space. And I started hunting for occasional figures in the landscape. I started stripping, stripping off my masks, the eternal masks. I started staring directly at all those inconvenient particles of my past, the abyss they blew in from, the ones they keep trying to vaccinate you from remembering. I started trying to figure out The question, the question that this retarded magic chessboard of a city is asking. I started wondering if maybe you can be just retarded enough, just retarded enough. just retarded enough. Just retarded enough to transcend the daunting distance, to discard the masks, to see the hazy invitation of a divine collaboration if you can be just retarded enough to fight your way, to dance your way, to dance your way to the other side of the magic chessboard, maybe you can transform into who you really are and defeat this fucking darkness. And that's what brings us to the golden. Because no matter how dark it is right now, and it's dark, there are cracks in the darkness, golden cracks. Cracks tailored to your BMI custom-fit to your waist-to-hip ratio, Monica's favorite thing, cracks for each one of us to possibly slip through. And if it wasn't so dark, you wouldn't see them. And trust me, I know a lot about cracks. If you're a certain type of soul with a certain type of light, a dark age, is the only way to see your own figure in the landscape, or the figures of your kin. So tonight, if you'll indulge me, is about interrogating and celebrating some of those figures that I have seen in the last few years since the darkness together uh, took over. Some of them are here and will join me on stage. Some of them are only here in spirit. My first guest tonight is one such bright bright shiny figure emanating from Austin, Texas. And that is all for the freeloader portion of the first live filthy Armenian adventure. For the rest of the show featuring Jack Mason of the Perfume Nationalist, Adam Lehrer of Safety Propaganda, Mommy Milkers of the Land of Milk and Honey, and so much more. Subscribe now at patreon.com/slash Armenian and join the Enlightened Society of Angels and Rug Merchants, cigar singers and oligarchs of the night who keep the lights on at Filthy Armenian Adventure Land and keep the counteroffensive against the darkness. Weaponized. Up next in the show is Act Two, The Nose Nose, with Jack Mason. Act Three, Celebutante Rape Therapy, a short play by Adam Lair. Act Four, Beauty and Eve Babbitts with Mommy Milkers. And Act Five, Putting the Hard R in Paul Revere. See you in Patreon and be well.